Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be entirely dedicated to reviewing the Bengals-Browns game. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 7 Game Review. Cleveland Browns 37, Cincinnati Bengals 34. All right, so this loss to the Browns pretty much signifies that we're not going to make the playoffs this season. I know we kind of expected that, but it's a real long shot now with Pittsburgh coming up twice and Baltimore, and you know there's quite a few games left. We'd have to win pretty much all of them, which is hard for any team to do, no matter how good or bad you are. So what do we do now? Well, you know what we do? We enjoy this season. We wait all year for the season to start and to watch these games, and although we're not going to have a Super Bowl this year, and that's the ultimate goal, We can still have a lot of fun watching this team. We have a superstar quarterback in the making. We have some exciting young players. We're close in every game. We're playing some exciting games. Tell me this game wasn't thrilling until the very end. Just like the Colts game. Just like most of the games have been. So that's what I want to do this season. I just want to have fun. Because we have football. We have Bengal games. We have nine games left. So that's a lot of exciting football. And we can just have a good time watching it with no expectations. We keep Burrow healthy. We play some exciting games. We get a few wins. We get these players developed. It's going to be a good future. So Bengal fans, don't get down. Just have fun watching this team. That's what we like to do. It's my favorite thing to do. And it's tough losing these games in the fourth quarter, which we have lost a handful of games in the fourth quarter already this season. And it turns out it's just a young team that doesn't know how to quite win yet. I know that's a cliche saying, but we're not closing out games at the end. You know, we're not stopping other teams from making the big play when the game is on the line. It seems like every loss involves like a breakdown from one of the units, and that's what happens when a team loses a bunch of games. Inevitably, one phase of the game lets you down. Like, let's think about the first game against the Chargers. It was the special teams that let us down with the missed field goal by Bullock. And then there was a couple defensive performances recently where we gave up a lead. We had the game against the Ravens where we couldn't protect Burrow and we had problems on offense. So if you look back to all the losses, you could almost single one phase of the game that wasn't performing up to standard. So as we get more experienced as players and we get some better players down the road, we're going to win in all three phases of the game and we're going to win a ton of games. That was the Patriots formula. They stopped you on defense, Brady was amazing on offense, and they had solid special teams. We have solid special teams, Burrow's going to be amazing, the defense is set to improve next year as well, so the future's bright. Alright, so before we go into the Browns game, let's review some current headlines. The first main headline for me is Joe Burrow nominated for Offensive Player of the Week. Love to see it, it's only his seventh week playing and already he's up for an honor. Well-deserved. It's going to be a long shot that he wins it. Unfortunately, I think Mayfield is going to get it this week, and it's well-deserved. He had five touchdown passes and led them to a win and truthfully was unstoppable at the end of the game, which I'll get to in a little bit. But congrats, Joe Burrow. Just the nomination is, is flattering enough, and this is going to be the first of many. Next piece of news, I found out Joe Mixon is day-to-day, so that's good. He may be coming back. You know what? If he's not 100% healthy for this next game, You could sit him during the Titans game. Bernard did a great job. P. Ryan's set to go in there and fill in as needed. So maybe you give Joe two more weeks off and get him ready for the second half. Because remember, if we're not going to be a playoff team this year, we do have Mixon signed long term. So he's going to be an important key to a playoff push for next year as well. 
So if you have to sit him for a couple weeks in the middle of a season that's not looking great for you, it's not a big deal. Keep him healthy, get him healthy, because we're going to need him for the long run as well. John Ross inactive again. I think it was another illness. It's just it's just a star-crossed career for him so far. It's a shame. I really want to see him do well. I'm hoping towards the end of the year they make him active for a few games and get him a few passes and we can see him shine. And, you know, I, I'm dying to see him catch an 85-yard deep ball from Burrow. Oh, we signed a cornerback named Jalen Davis. We love those ex-Dolphins, and truthfully, too many ex-Dolphins for, for my liking. But I don't really know much about Davis. I know he has like a forced fumble and a sack in his career. I was looking at the stats. And you can never have enough good corners, so hopefully he develops into a good player. He's on the practice squad, and they picked back up Khalil McKenzie, who's been floating down between the active roster and the practice squad, and they, they waved him a couple weeks back. So nice to see him back in stripes. And they're looking at Quentin Spain, so I like the fact that they're continuing to try to progress that offensive line. You know, even though Redmond's playing solid, if Spain is better than your next backup guard, then why not get him on the roster? We can use all the help we can get there. What a weird time and a weird game for Carlos Dunlap. I mean, he didn't have any production, unfortunately. He had the offsides that led to a first down. That, that wasn't a fun play for him. He gets into a fight with the coaching staff on the sideline. It wasn't the Carlos that we all know and love. It, it seemed like he was off during the game. He seemed a little detached. And I, I know he's upset about everything. So I'm hoping that that situation improves. I don't know if they're going to trade him or not. I just want to see him get the sack record. He's been a great Bengal for his whole career. And I don't want it to end bitterly. That's, that's no fun. You don't want to start disliking a player that you've rooted for for basically a decade. So I'm hoping that they get things resolved with him. It's just an unsettling feeling, This what's going on right now, especially with that argument on the sidelines. But now when you think about it, we went into the year thinking our starting line was going to be Dunlap, Atkins, Reeder, and Hubbard. Do you know who started this game for us? We had Bledsoe, Covington, Daniels, and Lawson. Three guys that were waiver wire pickups, and then Lawson, who was going to be a rotational defensive end. And, you know, you can blame some of the lack of success on that. When you go into a season thinking you're going to have four defensive linemen, and then you have a totally different four starting every game, that's really hard to overcome. A defensive line and an offensive line, as we know, is a major part of a team's success. As I said in the last podcast, to have a bunch of guys starting that just got here and have to have them go up against experienced offensive lines, especially Cleveland with all those top 10 offensive linemen, it's hard to win games like that. And and we are. We're, we're staying in games. We're remaining close. But I, I'd like to see a lot of teams out there have four totally new defensive linemen than they expected to play. I don't think those teams would be going 11-5 and five this year either. And then the last item is the offensive line injuries. It was tough seeing three guys go down in one game. You have Hopkins with a concussion. I'd like to see for his own benefit for him to sit out until after the bye week. Jonah with a neck injury. I haven't heard any reports on that, but if it's a neck injury, same thing. Whether it's a day-to-day situation or not, maybe you sit him against the Titans, let him rest for the bye week, and let him come back strong against the Steelers. We're going to need him for that game. And Bobby Hart, in the midst of him playing his best game of the season, he gets rolled up on Lee. It, It was pretty ugly. I'm hoping that he's okay as well. All right, so let's move on to some coaching and game flow items from this game. The one exciting thing, and and I was saying this, we needed to go score for score just like we did last game, and we did. I'll tell you, I could watch five Browns-Bengals games this year because that's that exciting to watch these two teams go head-to-head. As it was going on, I was thinking we were going to overtime. I just couldn't fathom them scoring a touchdown with a minute and six. I know they were driving, but they had no timeouts. I figured a couple stops near the middle of the field. Game over. I knew they were going to move the ball, and 
I figured they would just get a field goal out of it. We'd go to overtime, hopefully win the toss because Burrow was hot. But it didn't end up like that. We got our hearts broken with 16 seconds left. But that's the way it flies. What are you going to do? We went with the short passing game, which was the right formula to win this game. A lot of screens, a lot of quick passing. And I'm glad they made that decision strategically because it helped Burrow in this game. Another positive, there were no points let up before the half, which is my biggest pet peeve. And as a matter of fact, we scored right before the half. So we turned around that negative trend this game. So I'd like to see that continue. Nothing worse than giving points up at the half and nothing worse than going three and out when you have the ball to start the third quarter. We didn't do either of those things, so I'm very happy about that. And we got creative with the play calling in the second half. That's been one of my complaints this year. It feels like we we bust out a lot of really creative plays early, and then the game kind of gets to us, and we get in the flow of the game, and we kind of stick to what we know, and we don't get as creative or think out of the box. And there were three very clever plays that they called in the second half. They did that double screen pass to Bernard with the Boyd throw. We did a sweep to Higgins where we did a play action, and then he did like a jet sweep to the um, left sideline, which is a really cool play. We were doing some clever formations. There was one where we had like a diamond set up with four wide receivers, and then they sent one in motion, but pretty cool stuff there. We had the multiple tight end look, mixed up the running backs in the backfield. We ran some quarterback sneaks. We said, hey, we're going to run two in a row to score here. We're not going to be accused of doing another fullback. Zach Taylor didn't want to go down like that. He wasn't going to have another handoff to the fullback on that play at the goal line. He was like, we're going to just punch it in here. I think we ended up doing three quarterback sneaks where he just follows the push of the line and then the running back pushes him from behind. I just want to be careful with that. They were successful, and I'm glad they did them when they did the two back-to-back to score. But I always think of that Mahomes play where he dislocated his kneecap. And even on one of those sneaks, you saw Burrow at the bottom of the pile, a couple guys laying on his legs. It's a key play. It's a necessary play, but I don't want to see us do it too much because I do not want to see him get hurt on a play like that. We need to find an answer for these defensive back blitzes. They've been killing us for the last couple games, and it seems like teams are watching tape of how other teams do it, and we're going to be seeing a lot of that. So we have to figure out an answer on the offensive line to not miss those assignments or try to account for that extra guy. There was one safety blitz where Burrow just got lit up, but I, you know, truthfully, I looked downfield, there was no one open. They sent one more guy than we could block, so that's not the offensive line's fault, and nobody got open. So that was one example of those DB blitzes hurting us. We had four false starts in the game as well, too, which is never going to help you. That's a drive killer. When Instead of first and 10, you're at first and 15. Again, Burrow's got a great hard count, but our guys have to be disciplined and, and understand that he's got a great hard count and not be the guy to move. And, you know, Mayfield was so hot in the second half, and I, I was I rewatched the game, and I'm like, how did he light us up this badly? I know he's a pretty good quarterback, but I was just like, what went on? And if you look at that second half, what was happening was... We were getting no pressure. Kevin Stefanski was making some excellent play calls, especially against the zone defense. It just seemed like there were guys wide open all over the field. And Mayfield was throwing accurately. You can't take it away from him. He played excellently. So I think it was a combination of all of those things. You know, no pressure, accurate throwing, good play calling, and our zone D was getting lit up. But you can't give up a touchdown with 106 left and no timeouts. It just hurt. I just wish that we could have found an answer. I know everyone's calling for Lou Anarumo's head after this one. And, you know, Stefanski got the best of them. That's the way it goes. They're a division rival. They know you. You know them. And ultimately, he ended up losing the matchup against Kevin Stefanski. All right, now let's move on to my favorite topic of the Bengals, which is Joe Burrow. We have a superstar on our hands here. 
there's going to be some bright days in Cincinnati with this guy at the helm. 35 for 47, a lot of attempts, but I mean, it was the way we were moving the ball. That's the way the game went. You know, he got popped a few times in the first half, but we didn't put him in harm's way too much, which was good. 406 yards, first Bengal rookie to surpass 400 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, what a great game. This guy's not even like a rookie. In that last drive, he was 5 for 6 for 52 yards and a key 12-yard scramble on a third and 11. That's like a perfect final drive for him, and he's been doing that. He's been showing that leadership. He's been showing that he can drive you down the field at the end of a game to win it. One thing that I noticed about his leadership, it was late in the game, he made a play call in the huddle, and Redman and Hart were about to break the huddle early, and he actually grabbed Redman and pulled him back in and said a few extra words. You know, what rookies have the courage to do that to a veteran? This guy is just wise beyond his years, and he's got all the intangibles that we need. He doesn't panic. As they mentioned during the broadcast, you never see the guy panic, even on a bad snap. He had the one low snap, and then he took it up the middle for like a six-yard gain rather than panicking. Eyes are always downfield. Just nothing seems to rattle him, even big hits, even interceptions. He's just very level, and that's what you need to be a successful superstar. You know, you need to be able to blast out with adrenaline, but you also need to be able to harness that adrenaline, and he does both of those things very well. The ball placement and the accuracy continue to be amazing. Back shoulder throws, a lot of velocity too, especially on a lot of those throws across the middle of the field in tight windows, just blasting them in there. And 65 yards in the air on that final Hail Mary. So he's got the arm strength to get it downfield as needed. That was a really good throw there. It was nice to see him reach the end zone from basically the 35-yard line. And his mobility has been incredible in the pocket. He has speed when running the ball. He's very elusive, very fast quarterback, a lot faster than I think people realize once they see him on the field. So he's bringing the complete package. He's got the arm strength, the accuracy, the velocity, the foot speed. Everything is is looking up. And he just had his fifth 300-yard game. The rookie record is six. The season's not even half over. This guy's going to end up breaking a lot of records, both as a rookie and throughout his career. So let's just buckle up and and get ready for the show. And then if you want to talk any negatives, yeah, there's a couple bad throws. The interception, he, he did have Boyd wide open, but there was a lot of traffic underneath. He didn't get enough arc on the ball. And Ward tipped it. So it was almost an ill-advised pass. As it was happening live, even as that play was developing, I was like, just get rid of it out of bounds. It was like first or second down. We had a few more downs. It wasn't vital that we scored on that play. But he saw something. He tried to get it in there. I like the courage, not being afraid to throw into traffic. But that would be considered one of his bad throws. And then there were two dropped interceptions. There was one in the fourth quarter that might have been a game ender that Mitchell dropped. So he, we kind of got lucky there. But out of 47 throws, I mean, I I count maybe three, four bad throws, and that's not bad. All right, so offensively, I'd like to give props to Gio Bernard. What a great game filling in for Mixon and being the bell cow. He had some solid rushes, some solid receptions. His blocking was outstanding. And he's a good guy. I mean, he's so likable. I hope that they keep this guy around and pay him his money, and he retires as a Bengal. Such a likable guy and a great player and a hard-nosed player. I mean, he even picked up the cameraman on the sideline when he saw the guy fell. He's just got a good heart, someone that you're always rooting for, and he had a great game. Tyler Boyd is the best receiver on the Bengals. He is phenomenal. 
the yards after the catch, the contested catches, the catches under pressure in pressure situations, whether on fourth down or on a fourth quarter drive or in a key third down. He's really lighting it up. He's getting yards after the catch. He's just a reliable target that needs some more national recognition because he is a star. And he runs a lot of those tough routes, you know, across the middle of the field where he's got a linebacker or safety bearing down on him. He got pounded on that one play, too. He's in the midst of going down, and he's got a defensive lineman just nailing him in the head. There was a couple things. You know, they went low on Burrow one time. You had Ward throw the punch at Higgins. Browns were a little bit dirtier than I remember them being. But you're always going to say that about the other team. I, I, I didn't see us do any uncool things, but I guess it goes both ways. Higgins continues to be an amazing rookie receiver. He is going to be a star. He's got chemistry with Burrow. Made some great catches in, in key situations. That touchdown where he did the spin move with the run after the catch. You know, he caught the ball. He was inside the 10. He had to go through like three guys. Really an excellent game-breaking play. And we're going to see a lot of them out of this guy. And then he went to do the icky shuffle. I don't know if anyone caught that. But then his teammates mobbed him, so he didn't really have time to execute the dance. But... It was nice to see he was going to do the icky shuffle. AJ had another solid game. He had that key run after the catch in the fourth quarter where he he kind of broke off a tackle by Mitchell again and fought his way for a first down. There were two contested balls in the end zone. He had the one that Ward kind of slapped away, and he had one early on in the game. AJ has a history of catching those balls. I'm not seeing him win those contested catches this year as much. But you know, he's going to be watching film, he's going to see what's going on, and he's going to improve that. So I'm not worried about that, I've just seen more of it than I would ever expect out of AJ this season. Drew Sample's coming alive too, he's becoming a receiving threat. And when he gets the ball in his hands, he's good with that run after the catch. Remember, he's a big, solid tight end. You know, he was drafted more as a blocker than a pass catcher, but with Burrow out there, he's finding him, he's he's liking the target, and Sample's catching everything that's being thrown to him. Mike Thomas is running these great routes. He made two really key catches in this game. So I like to see those backup wide receivers get action in there too. And then Samaje Pirine. I know this was Bernard's game, but I just if you go back and you see this game, just watch the first run by Pirine. He just gets the ball and just runs full speed ahead into traffic, whether there's a linebacker, a defensive end, whether there was a brick wall in his way. He was just going as fast as he could, hitting the hole as hard as he could. I love that toughness and aggressiveness. No wonder why they kept him on the roster. And he made a couple nice blocks, too, in the passing game. So good game out of Pirine. Very happy with that. Offensive line, as I mentioned earlier, before Bobby Hart got hurt, he was having one of his best games as a Bengal. So I'm hoping that he gets better because he is the second-best tackle on the roster right now. Alex Redmond continues to hustle and be a baller and fight every play. It seems like every play he's in an alley fighting for his life. You know, he's just a total hustling street fighter ball player. Not perfect, but he had a pretty good game as well. Then the injuries really hurt us, and you know, Billy Price came in and did very well. There was a couple center exchanges, but that's to be expected. How much center has Price been playing? It's it's he's mostly been playing guard, so it was nice to see him come in, make the play calls and the checkoffs at the line, and pretty much do his job throughout the whole game. So excellent job by Billy Price. Fred Johnson came in and played pretty well, too. He did let up a play to Garrett where Garrett hit Burrow, but you can't be perfect against a guy like that. He's a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year based on what I'm seeing, unless he just decides to show up against the Bengals. I don't know. 
And it was nice to see Akeem Adeniji get in there as well. He was in there for the last drive, which was a successful touchdown drive. So he was doing his job. It's good. They expect him to be a starter in the future. So with some of these injuries, he might get thrust into the lineup now and, and get him some experience. And again, we're going to need guys like that for the seasons to come. Tough seeing Jonah get hurt too. He got badly beaten on the Garrett play and the, the strip sack. But aside from that, he was holding up until the injury, at least from what I saw. All right, on to the defense. It's tough to see guys like Hunter Bryant and People Smith and Higgins beat us. They only had three healthy receivers after Odell went down. And I figured we'd just clamp on Landry and they wouldn't be able to move the ball. But those backup guys killed us, and that's just not what you want to see when you play a team. You want to see when the backups come in, you want your starters to make sure that they don't do anything. So with that said, let's move on to the secondary. Mackenzie Alexander, another great game in coverage. He was shadowing Landry. Those two guys were jawing back and forth all game. I don't know who was starting that, but you can see those guys do not like each other. And Mackenzie also made some great tackles, too. He had the one open field tackle on Hunt early, and he's been doing that all season long. So another good game out of him. Von Bell, I mean, just amazing tackling in the backfield against running plays. You know, he still continues to have the coverage issues. He was very close on both of those TD passes. But on the one, he didn't have any help from the middle from Bates, but it was almost excusable for Bates because if you look at that play, they had Landry on the side where it was Sims and Phillips, and Sims and Phillips were struggling greatly at that point in the game. So I think Bates saw Landry down there and decided, I'm going to help out down here, and he left Bell one-on-one. Bell was tight on that coverage, but not good enough. That throw was also another great throw by Mayfield. Darius Phillips, he was getting targeted a lot this game, unfortunately. He had the great interception early. I know they had that planned all week. You know, Beckham was probably like, oh, I'm going to light up Phillips over top. Didn't work that way. Phillips' great hands, it was a poor throw. He was right there with a great catch. So that was nice to see, but from there he kind of struggled the rest of the game. The one play that was unfortunate was when People Smith had the catch on the sideline, and Phillips was like saying something to the ref instead of finishing out the play. And then People Smith ended up rolling out of bounds to stop the clock. So that that was not a great heady play by Phillips there. And I don't like, it's, it's not Phillips, I just don't like when players do that. You ever see a guy, in the middle of a play, he's going down and he's and he's raising his hand up in the air to pretend to be throwing a flag. Like, don't, don't call the flag when you're still in the play. You can argue with the officials after the play, even though I've never been one to blame the officials. But mid-play is never the time to turn to the official and say something. And in this case, it hurt us, because if that clock kept running, it would have been even tougher for them to score that winning touchdown. And Phillips' coverage on the winning TD was not bad. He was was beaten by a step, but he was very close. It was just a great back shoulder throw. If you look, he just missed it. So just like everything, a, a couple inches to the right or left, and, you know, that could have been an interception or a batted ball. And LaShawn Sims continues to struggle in zone defense. We're going to have to find an answer there. We're going to have to get him coached up a little more on, on zone. It's not his athletic ability. He's a good tackler. He's fast. He's just making some mental mistakes and not getting into the proper zones that he should be getting into. And, you know, I've seen him on the losing end of quite a few key passes. Pratt, Bynes, Wilson, linebackers continue to not be a liability, which is a big improvement over past years. Pratt has some sure tackling. Bynes played well. Wilson has been getting more and more active and making some big plays over the last few weeks, so that's really good to see out of the rookie. I know Pratt got burned on the one TD. He tripped over the traffic that was going on, and his and his guy got open for the touchdown. You know, he's been playing very well, so I'm, I'm still going to say he had a positive game despite that play. And then onto the defensive line really quick. The backups are hustling. 
I mean, we're not getting much pass rush. I get it. But remember, again, these guys are waiver wire pickups. But you can't fault Covington or Bledsoe on their hustle. Those guys continue to be active in chasing down plays, which I really love to see. And Khalid Kareem continues to be very active. So I'm very happy with his progress. He's a, a very pleasant surprise, and he's going to be a solid player for us for a while. And then another play that was a little distressing was when Carl Lawson lined up in the neutral zone. I saw it, too. As they're lining up, I'm like, he is way over the line. I really hope they don't call this. And, of course, they called it, and then it was a key third down that got converted to a first down. So as we see, a couple plays could be game changers. Maybe if Lawson doesn't line up there, we stop him on that third down. They have to punt. Maybe if Phillips taps People Smith on the way out of bounds... The clock keeps running, and they don't have enough time to score. You know, it's a fine line between winning and losing. And then lastly, on to special teams, because I always want to cover all three phases. Bullock has been solid. Those kickoffs are all going out of the end zone. We don't have to worry about any big returns there. He's making his field goals. He's making his extra points. And Kevin Huber, I believe it was zero punts this game, which is pretty crazy. I mean, we were just moving the ball all over the place, so it makes sense. And Brandon Wilson, you know, teams are really being cautious of him. He did have the chance to return three, and every time he catches one, I'm like, oh, he's breaking it. But the Browns special teams were all over it, as, as I'm sure everyone's going to be. When you have a dangerous returner like that, the coverage team gets a little more jacked up to play him. They spend a little more time in, in the special teams room prepping for a guy like this. So I think that's what Wilson's getting right now. He's getting the star treatment where teams are really keying on him and game planning for him. And that's why I think we haven't seen any really big returns out of him over the last few weeks. So that's it. Again, it was an exciting game to watch. I had fun until the last few seconds where I was really mad. But prior to that, I was having a great time. And I'm continuing to have a great time watching these games. So it's all good. We're going to be a dominant team in the future. And this year, let's just have some fun. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to welcome in Buck Rising, who is a Titans expert, who's going to review the Titans for us. Tom McLevy's going to stop by for another McLevy minute. And Sands is going to come by to discuss the Browns game and preview the Titans game. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Great highlights, great music, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to thank the ZDA Network, the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Instagram or Twitter. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.